Oh, Heavenly Father, we uh, humbly come before you because in this day we remind ourselves that we belong to you. We've been purchased at great price. We are yours, and that's what we want as well. We want to be in your hands, oh Lord. We want to be at your feet, and uh, we want to be reminded in this busy life, demanding life, trial-filled life, that we belong to you. We want to take this time this morning to worship you and also to bow down and hear from you. Lord, we, uh, we could get so busy and so many things in our lives and as Christians, we just forget our neediness of you, the true self-sufficient one, the only being in all existence that needs no one but gives to everyone. We want to come at your feet, Lord. We want to stop. Help us to stop thinking about everything Stop focusing on all the problems and just hear from you. Speak, O oh Lord. Talk to our hearts. May your sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, pierce through our heart deep inside and change us. Stay in us and transform us for this week before us, this life before us. Lord, I, I honestly pray that you would remove the teacher, the preacher, and only let your voice be heard. I humbly be, come before the text, before what you've said, and hope to let you speak, because we want to hear Jesus, not Martin. We want to hear the voice of the Almighty, because we know your word will change us. We know, and we want to obey your word, because we know that we belong to you and to no one else. And so again, we, we pray, Lord, put your hand upon us to stop us for a minute and to actually pay attention, to actually be moved by your word, especially if we've been in it for so many decades as Christians, to think that we, we, we've had enough of it, we've, we've read it and, and studied it, to say, no, God can still speak to me right now. We want to explore a greater depth of that amazing cavern of wisdom and, and let it transform us and affect us in deep and powerful ways. And again, not, not because of what the preacher will say, but because the Spirit has spoken to our hearts. And that's what we're praying for right now. That's what we call for, Lord. That's what I'm begging for, honestly. May you be heard. May we obey, O oh Lord. We pray all in Jesus' name. Amen. It seems to me that longer we walk this Christian path, more we run the danger of becoming blasé, of losing that awe and wonder, that fear and trembling before the Lord. Think of Isaiah or the Apostle John when they met the Lord and they, they were all undone. They, they fell to their faces. And I'm not talking about your own personal meeting with Jesus. I mean his revelation, his word. How even as Christians, being serious in our walk and trying to kill sin, we can get focused on certain sins that we really think are important and forget everything else. Not realizing these sins also crucified Christ. All those little sins that we skip over are very important to the Lord. Again, letting that, that word of God pierce through our hearts, bring us to our knees and say, you are so holy and I'm not. We can do that when we talk about the new covenant and talk about how it's, it's not about rules anymore. It's not about commandments. It's about just loving one another. That could be kind of flippant, kind of simplified. When you realize all the ways the New Testament tells us love should be manifested in people's lives, that again should just humble us and say, I don't, I don't love like that. 
So as Christ continues in this upper room discourse, he will focus on this commandment to love one another. And he will do it by showing us a little mirror image, but not of themselves. It's way too easy to look at yourself in the mirror saying, I'm not that bad. I think I'm pretty faithful in the Lord, especially compared to the other guy. Now, in this mirror, it's going to be Christ. The Lord will be presenting himself through his apostle again and again and again. And even at some point, he's going to change hats. You're going to understand what I mean by that. But through that image, they're going to be brought to our, their knees as us, I hope, realizing I don't love like you love. And so with that said, let us um, continue with verse 9. As he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. That should make us stop for a minute. Look at that mirror image I was talking about. Well, you're not seeing just Jesus right now. You're seeing the Father and the Son in that perfect, unchanging, eternal love. Right? Because God is perfect love. Not love, God loves himself. The Father and Son are not the same, right? That's why the doctrine of the Trinity is so important. The Father, the Son, the Spirit has a perfect love to the point it's one divinity. Wow, that's amazing love. And he says that love is focused on you now. Doesn't that just grab us, bring us to our knees and say, what kind of love is this? Yeah, but I, I don't feel that kind of love. Yeah, but these shrouds right now. Yeah, but I don't think he's hearing my prayers. And again, I don't say this to mock. I've been there too. That's what we need to look in the mirror, like he's calling them to do. You need to recognize that love is there. So this is why Paul was praying for the Ephesians in chapter 3, as for us, that we'd be strengthened in our inner man, that Christ would live in us, that we'd be deeply rooted and great foundation to grab hold of one thing, the length, the depth, the height, the weight of who God is. Right, the fullness of God, this infinite God, and therefore, when you realize that knowledge of knowing the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, it makes sense. It surpasses it because it's infinite. And that again, when looking in that mirror image, you realize what kind of love that is. And that's why he tells them to abide in that love. Remember that word, right? Remain, stay in that love. And remember, we were looking at it last time, abiding is not what you do, it's what you believe. It's what you realize. You are at the cross. You were crucified with Christ and resurrected in him. You are loved. You remain there. How do we do that, Jesus? Please tell us. And he will. If, conditional clause, if this, then that. You do this, you get that. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Now be careful. He's not saying you will earn my love. That's where we make the mistake. He didn't say keep the commandments and you'll get my love. It's never about earning. But what is he saying then? Well, we need to focus back on that little word keep. Because we saw in chapter 14, the word keep first and foremost talks about guarding, treasuring, honoring something, and therefore you will apply it. Think of the many times in Proverbs that we're told that wisdom is like a treasure. You're supposed to see it as a treasure. See it as something precious so you will seek it. Same thing here. If we see the commandments of the Lord as something precious, something from his own heart shared to us, to have a relationship with us, we will live by them. If you see them as obligations from a stern and, and 
hard father, well, you might have trouble obeying them. So these commandments become the parameters. Simple image for you guys. Think of a pool. Pool has these contours, right, in which the water exists. You remove the contour, no more water. The contours are the commandments. Those are the parameters in which the pool of love of God is, in which you can swim and drown yourself in. Now, of course, you can leave the pool. Love is still there. He'll grab you out of that love and bring you into that love again. Right? Because God is light. And as you said, you must be in the light with me to have that relationship with me. Or you can go into the dark forest, absolutely, and he will still love you. But it's hard to know that love when wolves are pulling at you and biting at you, right? You want that love, you come back where he is, in the light. So when he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, like I said, it's not earning it, but it's swimming in it. And we know that because Jesus will then add, just as. The second mirror image, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Here's a question for you. Did Jesus earn the father's love? Please, somebody say no. The son did not earn the love. He always had it. Eternal, unchanging love of the father and the son. As he said at the baptism, right? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased because he'll keep my commandments. No, that, that point is not, not, not in the Bible. He didn't say that. Again, when Christ is saying he, that he uh, abided in that love by keeping the commandment, he meant that this is where the love is. He knew it. It's in the will of the Father. And as he said, I do nothing of myself. I only want to be in the, the Father's will because I love him and he loves me. So this is where I want to be. This is where he wanted to exist. As he even said to his disciple once, right? I have a food you know not of. It's the will of the Father. This is where the love exists. Christ knew it. He's showing it to them. And he's saying the same thing for you guys. Now you're going to earn it. You're going to live in it. You're going to swim in it by staying in these parameters. And as Christ continues, he will then say, these things I have spoken to you. Now, it's interesting that he speaks again of speaking. He says teaching. He says again, it's all about what he said. Because we've been seeing how it's truth that we need. It's doctrine, if you will, theology, whatever the word you want to use, it's all about this teaching. That's what they need. This is what Jesus will give them. This is what the Spirit will even come and give them. Even though the Spirit will come bring gifts, Christ's focus is on the fact he's going to come to remind them what I've said and teach you all things because that's what you guys need. This is how you're going to know where the parameters are if I teach them to you. Commandments. And I'm teaching you these things that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Here's the purpose. You will get this joy. He's already talked about something that's his. He talked about his peace in chapter 14. Right? He promised a peace that's not like the world, where the, world, the peace of the world is focused on situations, if it's going well or not. The peace of Christ is inner peace. It's the peace that comes because you are Christ's. You are in his hand. You are assured of his love. And now he's talking about his joy. And again, in that mirror image, we saw his joy was, was found where? In the commandments, right? In the obedience. Because that's where the love of the Father was. 
And that's where the joy of Christ was. And he's saying it's going to be the same for you guys. You want that joy? You want the fullness of the joy I have? It's found right here in those parameters, in that love. Okay, Jesus, what's the commandments? First, a sip of water. He said, this is my commandment. Do you see something interesting right here? Because he was speaking first of the commandments, plural, and now he talks about commandment, singular. And in the text, it really is plural and singular. Leaves the, 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 the commentator saying, we're not sure what he's saying. Here's my humble efforts to explain it. The commandment of love he's going to present is that tree. The commandments are the branches. The commandment of love is lived out through the different ways love is explained in the New Testament. Here's a couple of examples of what I mean. Right? You need to love one another this way. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Ouch. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Or this one. Let love be genuine, honest, true, transparent. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Your heart must be involved. Outdo one another in showing honor. See, this is contrasted with slander, where you are doing one another to humble each other, to humiliate one another. Here is you're, you're supposed to outdo each other to honor one another. That's love. Or this one. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Again, the heart is involved. Since love covers a multitude of sins. Yeah, but he did that and she did this. Covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Oh, I'll help you, but I don't like you. No, no, that's not involved. Or this one. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Suffer with those who suffer. I'm sad you're suffering and I'll pray for you, but I don't really want to spend time with you when you're suffering. No, no, that's love. Those are just a few of the branches of the, the commandments, if you will, of that one command to love. And like I said, this should bring us to our knees. This should bring us to a place of, of humble confession of saying, I, I don't love like that. I, I've, been, I've been preaching for about 20 years and many times, texts is exactly like these. I've been preaching them over and over again, and again and again, I'm convicted by them. Especially that after I preach them and preach them again, I realize I'm not living it yet. I'm not really living exactly that kind of love. Yet that's, that's what Christ meant. Because he says, this is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. Another image of Christ before us. As I have loved you you. I don't think anybody here could look at that image and say, I love just like that too. And just to help us out with this, just two more passages to help us. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, right? That passage of love. I want to look at that text, not all of it, but just focus on certain aspects of love and think, does Jesus love us like this? Okay? Because if he does, we should too. Love is patient. 
Is Christ patient with us? Long-suffering, right? We would even there say infinitely patient with us now that we are in Christ and forgiven of all sins, right? The anger of the Father is not against us anymore. We are in Christ. Love is kind. Has Christ been kind to you? Gentle, like a nursing mother? Those moments in pain when he came to you? Yeah, right? So it should be for us too. It does not seek its own benefit. We'll get back to that one when we get to the next text. But this Christ focused on his own benefit. When you realize he's the self-sufficient, perfectly satisfied God, does not need anything from us, doesn't actually get anything from us, and does everything for us, does he seek his own benefit? No. Then we shouldn't either. Does not keep an account of wrong suffering. Now that one's hard, right? Because we have memories. And yet, in Christ, we know that our sins are blotted out. They are fully covered. God chooses to forget them when we confess them. And therefore, we should be doing the same thing. In our next text, Paul starts by saying, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. Selfishness, yeah, that's hard, that one. But with humility, consider one another as more important than yourself. Ouch. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Yeah, but I think that, yeah, but this should be, yeah, but he, not you, them. See, this is where Paul moves on to the image and the example of Christ, right? Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking, on, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. And you see that little part I highlighted? That's what I was talking about before. He didn't focus on himself. He had every right to say, I am in glory and I can stay here. I don't owe anything to anybody. I am perfectly being honored by all the angels. I don't need to humble myself, become a man, become a slave, and wash the feet of the disciples and die for them. I don't need to. And he didn't grab hold of that. He let it all go. Are there other things that we need to let go to about ourselves, about what we want, what we think? So that's what it looks like. And this is where Jesus changed his hat. You'll see what I mean. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. He's putting on the friend hat. He had the Savior hat, now he has the friend hat. That's me imagination. It's weird, I know. But this friendship is really important because he says that this friend lays down his life for him. We can't just think of a love song here, right? I die for you. Or an action movie where the guy takes a bullet for the other one and dies in his arm. How sad that moment. That's not the same kind of laying down of a life that Jesus did. When you think of Christ laying down his life, you have to think of the cross, right? Bruised, broken, humiliated, naked, praying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do to those who are mocking him taking the full cup of the wrath of the Father that we deserve because he was made sin for us, he was made us, 
In a sense, on that cross, he tasted our eternal punishment. That's how he laid down his life for us. And yeah, the disciples didn't know it at the time. But don't forget, John wrote this decades later. And I can't, I can't, I can kind of imagine, and maybe I'm wrong, that as he's penning this, there are tears in his eyes because he knew what he meant when he said that. He now knew, decades later, being at the cross, hearing his, soul, his Lord saying, Lord, God, Father, Father, um, why have you forsaken me? Right? Screaming out these things. I think that John may have had a few tears in his eyes as he was writing this, realizing what he meant by laying down his life for him, for his friends. Again, we need to let that sink in because that's the example he's giving us as friendship because that's what he's going to call them to. You are my friends. If, conditional clause again, if you do what I command. Again, not you will earn my friendship. You'll live in that friendship if you love one another because that's why I am. I'm loving each other. And he will continue with this image of friendship where he says, no longer do I call you servants. And here we should stop and ask, when did he call them servants? That he never did. He, he called them disciples, right? You are my disciples if you abide in my word. He'll even call them later on brother and sister and mother, right? These who obey are brothers and sisters and mother. But he never actually called them servant directly. But indirectly he did through the parables. Think of all those parables where he talks about Servants, right? Presenting sometimes good and bad servants, sometimes just bad servants, sometimes just good servants. The whole time, of course, the idea of the image of the parable is he's the master, they're the servants. You don't want to be the bad servant. So in that sense, indirectly, he did call them servants. And he adds that for the servant does not know what his master is doing. Don't miss that little word I highlighted. It's all about knowledge. You see, he continues and explains in the contrast, but I have called you friends, and here's how. For all that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. Right? Knowledge equals intimacy. It's that simple. Knowledge equals intimacy. We can think of any relationship, be it friendship or romantic. It's in that knowledge that there is that intimacy. Right? We all know each other. We all say hi, we talk, but there are friendships here that go deeper than just the highs, right? You know stuff about that brother or sister nobody else knows. There's something there. And of course, the knowledge he's talking about is not your own personal revelation. It's the one that's written down, the one he's already given to them and we have now called the Bible. And it's in this call to intimacy by knowledge that we understand now why Paul Paul can say that he's a bondservant, he's a slave to the Lord, and not be contradicting Jesus. Because the kind of servanthood Paul talks about has adoption connected to it. Right? In the Greco-Roman world, there was a, the notion that certain servants were then adopted into the family and became intimate, part of the family. That's the one Paul focuses on. Where you will have that knowledge that brings intimacy. But here, Jesus is contrasting the servanthood that has no intimacy. You came in to serve, to pay your debt, and then you leave, but we don't become family. But he's saying, you get the family part. You get the friendship part. It's found in, in, in knowledge. 
This brings us back to what we saw in the beginning, the parameters in which the love exists. Don't just say, I love Jesus, but you don't want to be where he says love exists. Don't say, I know Jesus, but you know nothing of what he said. Because that's not intimacy. Intimacy is not what you experience. Intimacy is what's written down. It's what is shared. It's knowledge, again, as he's saying here. If not, you might fall into a category of servant. You're doing a lot of stuff for God, but there's no intimacy because you don't know him. Ouch. And here's some of the knowledge that Jesus wants to share with them. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I will not open the Calvinist door. And if you don't know what I mean, that's okay. It's better like that. Those who don't know what I mean are laughing right now. Um, but we need to be reassured by these words. You didn't choose me, I chose you. You didn't seek me, I seek you. You didn't love first love me, I first loved you. And there's a reason why this is reassuring. Because I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should abide. It's not I appointed you so you do your part. I appointed you and I will make sure you will bear that fruit. Right? That's why the whole abiding thing is so important. You remain here and I will make sure you, you produce the fruit because I chose you for that. I called you for that. See, that's why Romans 8.28 is so reassuring, right? All things work together for our good. For those who love him. Wait, I don't love him enough. That's okay. Next verse. He who he foreknew, he also predestined. I'm going to make sure you are made into the image of my son. Ah, reassuring again. And it talks about fruit that abides, remains, stays once again. Because it's not seasonal fruit. You know, I get some self-control, loving kindness right now, but in a couple of years, man, I'm going to get angry and just do everything wrong. No, 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 no. It's, it's fruit that abides, that stays, that grows, that continues to mature slowly, but matures more and more. And again, not because you did all you had to do, because Christ appointed it to. He called it to happen. He's the one making sure of it. That's our reassurance. But in this, we could ask, okay, what's the good of this fruit? But first, a glass of water. He tells us it's so that. Here's the purpose of this abiding fruit. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. The words have changed from the beginning of chapter 15 when he talked about whatever you ask, whatever you uh, wish, it will be given to you. Or the words in chapter 14, which are very similar, where he talks about you ask the Father in my name, yet it's still saying the same thing. Asking in the name of Christ is not a secret uh, word you add to the prayer to make it sure it works. I put Jesus at the end, it's going to work. No, asking in his name is asking according to his will. That's why he, he mentioned before, and our brother read also before, that first the, wor the word must abide in you. It must transform your will, transform your thoughts, renew your mind, so that when you come to pray, your wish, your desires will be according to God's will. And then, of course, God will answer. Same thing's being said here. When he says, the as the Father in my name, he's saying, according to my will. The same way I would ask something of the Father, to glorify the Father. But this should still lead us to say, okay, what's this prayer exactly we need to ask Jesus? Well, he's going to tell us as he concludes our little section today. 
These things, what we've been seeing, these things, I command you. And it'd be tempting to say that the command here is just love, right? Love one another. But no, because he says, so that. The command will make it possible to love one another. So yes, love one another is part of the command, but there's something that helps us apply the love of one another. And what, what is it? Well, we just saw it. I'll well, we even backtrack to help you. See, it's, you ask. Once again, the application is prayer. Once again, he says these things, the love thing, yes, the prayer thing as well. It is, again, like I said, it's about recognizing these commandments to love that we saw together, and there's so many more, bring us to our knees and saying, Lord, I don't love like this. And when I look in the mirror and see that you are the word and you love perfectly, I don't love like you. Please bring me to love like that. Now, this is where I'm going to add a little addendum, a little, a little annex to what we're seeing here in the text and talk about what might hinder the sap from flowing freely. Those insects called sin. See, Paul tells the Ephesians, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And he tells us exactly how we can grieve the Spirit. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. You see, because he's the spirit of communion, right? The Holy Spirit has baptized each and every one of us into the body of Christ, and anything that hinders that unity of love will grieve him. That bitterness, that wrath, that slander, that selfishness, that me, I want this, I need that, and they did this to me, that will grieve the Holy Spirit. That's what I mean by, Lord, search out my heart where the little insects, they need to be crushed. I won't put it up on the screen, but I will encourage you, read Galatians 5, that passage about the works of the flesh. Honestly, prayerfully, go through it and ask, Lord, are these a part of my life? Because you see, Paul contrasts that with the fruit of the Spirit. And for God, it's light or darkness. Right? It's either you love the Lord or you love the world. It's either you give yourself over to the Spirit or to the flesh. It's not in between. You are either focusing all your efforts to honoring your brothers and sisters, or you will be seeking to humble, humiliate them. It's, it's not in between. There's no in between for God. And so again, Lord, seek out my heart. Show me what is hindering this love from flowing. But at the same time, as I look upon the image of Christ in the mirror, I say, please, um, pour out your love in me so I could love others as you love them. And uh, let that bring us into prayer right now. Oh, Father, um, seriously, we, we need to be constantly humbled by your love, just amazed, just undone, over and over again, the idea of God, holy, holy, holy God loves us sinners, selfish, wicked, self-centered, little dust people that we are. Even as Christians, we are so focused on ourselves and we are so quick to forget Christ. Oh, we'll cry out to you, Lord, when we need you, but the rest of the time we're focused on ourselves. And may this text, may this message just remind us that we need to bring ourselves down to our knees, look upon Christ and say, please, Make me more like him. Please help me to love like he does. 
Lord, we saw what your word has to say. And in, it was just a, a small parcel of what you really say about love. May it humble us. May it cut, cut us to the quick. May it really cut us down, Lord, and make us cry out. I want, I want to love like that. I want to love like all these things where selfishness dies out and everybody else becomes important to me. When I stop focusing on what I want and what I want to grab hold of and I start grabbing on to how to honor and love and cherish and bless others, Lord. Where I forget myself, I die to myself, I lay my life upon the cross and I live in newness of life for others. We're not there, Lord. We pray you would bring us there, please. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.